You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Today's scripture reading is based out of the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 10 through 17. It reads, And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything, anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It is uh, good to be with you all. Welcome to those of you watching at home. We're glad that you're able to uh, tune in with us. If we've never met before, my name is Will, and uh, I would love to meet uh, so that, that we can uh, greet formally. We're, we're glad you're, you're here if you're a visitor. Um, of course, it's been a crazy week, right? We, we've acknowledged that already through our liturgy. We've been living through and kind of witnessing things that we weren't sure we would ever see. And uh, the good news this morning, however, is that the football team is now out of the playoffs, and so things can go back to normal and usual as, uh, as we've come to, to be familiar with. Um, but uh, of course, of course uh, it has been a crazy week, and I don't have any special commentary about the things going on in D.C. Of course, you know, we condemn what happened there. Really what I sense from the Lord, like what he would have us do this moment, is actually zoom way, way out. Uh, there's a passage in the Bible that says what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And we spend 99% of our lives focused on the things that are temporary, that are passing away. This weekly gathering that we participate in is a, is a weekly reminder of those eternal, unseen realities that we want to base our lives upon. And so what I want to invite you to do uh, this morning, whether you're home, whether you're here, is invite that God would help you in this brief moment to lift your eyes off of what's temporary, what's passing away. And help us fix our eyes on, on that which is eternal. And so would you bow your heads with me right now and, and pray as we invite God to, to do that for us um, in, in this gathering. So God, here we are in this room in your presence. We've acknowledged, man, I love that, that when we sung that, it struck me deeply. Uh, are you dwelling among us? You are. You're here with us in this gathering. You're here with us even if we're at home watching. And what we're asking that you would do right now, God, is lift our eyes off of what is temporary, off of what is transient, off of what is passing away, and that you would help us focus our lives on what's significant, on what's eternal, 
on what's pleasing to you? I think of that quote hanging in my office from the missionary William Carey. God, I'm not afraid of uh, failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. And so would you help us this morning as we get ready, focused on our lives a little more than we normally are? Uh, Would you help us to, to succeed at things that actually matter eternally? Living God, you're in this room, so speak to us now. I just pray for your help. Um, Where I'm weak, would you be strong, and would you communicate your word to your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So next week, we're going to be back in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, As we're going to continue working through that, we're going to be focusing on forgiveness. So I even just invite you to pray as we lead into that, uh, that God would prepare you to receive what he might have to say to you on that topic. We wanted to take a couple weeks and just kind of do a couple one-off sermons not attached to a series. Given that it's the new year, maybe some of you at least are thinking about your lives in kind of a fresh way and you're making resolutions and all of those kinds of things. Uh, And so we wanted to just take some time to focus on some things that maybe can help you think about your life a little bit. And, And really, that's my aim this morning. I would love for you, when you leave from this place, to be provoked to spend just a little bit of time thinking about your time, thinking about your life. And uh, a moment in my life where I really began thinking about my life and the brevity of it was when I was like 19 or 20, I was working for this youth ministry, and I think it was like the theme of the summer camp that year. Uh, There was this phrase that was given, and it really does belong in like a youth summer camp. It's like, you know, a very motivational thing, but it really gripped me, and perhaps it can stick in your mind as well. This is the phrase, maybe some of you have heard it, define the line. Were any of you at that summer camp where they talked about this? Do you know what I'm talking about? This, this is what it's talking about, okay? When you die, you're going to be put six feet under the ground, and there's going to be a, a stone, a tombstone that's, that's laid on top of you there. There's going to be two numbers, okay? There's going to be a birth date, the date you were born, and then at that point, your, your death date. And then in between those two numbers is what? This, this little line, this little dash. And the goal of that phrase was to help you, hey, think about that, that dash, because actually in the span of eternity, your life probably actually is a lot smaller than that little bitty dash that's going to be on your tombstone. And so that caused me to, to think and to ponder and to pray about, hey, how can I use that little bit of time that I have for things that matter, for things that are significant? And I would love for you this morning to be thinking about how you can use that little line, that little bit of time you've been given for things that you can lay on your deathbed and say, okay, I know I wasted some time, but, but I think some things were significant. I think some things happened that will matter ultimately beyond the grave. Because friends, let me just remind you, we need to be reminded of this. You get one of those little lines, one life. You get one chance, no reincarnations, no redos, no resets, one life you get to live. And I'm sure the people in this room who are just a little bit more advanced in years uh, would have us here who are maybe a little bit younger. Man, that thing goes quick. It goes quick. So be thoughtful about what you're doing with that short period of time. Now, let me also recognize this at the beginning. Sometimes when we have these like carpe diem, seize the day, make your life count type sermons, you kind of walk away feeling like you need to go solve world hunger or uh, change the world in some massive and profound way. And maybe God would have some of you focus on those kinds of things. 
But I know, especially during COVID, a like message like that could be especially discouraging given how limited we are right now. But I think what we'll find as we look all over Ephesians 4 and 5 is that this isn't actually as complex or uh, far-reaching as we might be tempted to think. And so here's the question this morning. How do we make our lives count? How do we live for what's significant? And I'm not going to leave you guessing for long. I want to get right after it. So leave your Bibles open. Let's look at just the heart of what we're focused on this morning, verses 15 and 16. Let me read it again. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Making the best use of the time. This morning, we don't actually have to guess how we can make the best use of our time. It's actually written very clearly in this passage because sandwiched kind of on the top and the bottom of this this phrase about making the most use of our time are two phrases that will show us how we can actually do that. How can we make the best use of our time? Look with me back at verse 10. New City Fellowship, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And then let's look down at the bottom, verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Hey, how can you make the best use of your life? The way you make the best use of your life, friends, is by actually recognizing that it's not your life at all. Your life does not belong to you. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been bought with a price. You are no longer your own. You have been bought by the Lord. And every day, hour, second, every bit of energy, uh, every New Year's resolution, all of it, all of it, all of it is his. And if we're to make our lives count, if our lives are going to matter for things that are significant, we need to ask ourselves, what is pleasing to the Lord who has bought me? Or perhaps to put it more poetically, maybe some of you have heard this line out of uh, the famous poet poem, uh, poet C.T. Studd said the following, one life to live shall soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Can I say that to you one more time? One life to live shall soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. As we consider together how to, how to make the most of our time by doing what's pleasing to the Lord, I want to I look at three things that I think we can do that will help us to that end that, that are in this passage. So again, leave, leave your Bible open. We're going to reference it a lot this morning. Let's consider what do we then do to make sure that we are doing things in the sight of Christ that will last. Here's the first one. Are you ready for it? It comes out of verse 15. Look then carefully how you walk. In other words, what this is saying is look carefully at your life, at your conduct, at the things that you're doing, the things that you're focusing on. Give give some attention, give some thought, give some mind to your life because you only get one. You only get this one opportunity. And so what Paul says there is look carefully. The uh, original of what that means is, is, is with a great strictness, a great detail. 
The same word was used by Herod to the wise men, if you remember, uh, when he told the wise men to go find Jesus. He said, search diligently, look carefully uh, uh, for him, because that really mattered to him in that moment. So what's being told to us initially here is look carefully at your life. What might that look, that glance, that... um, that gazing or considering of your life look like? Well, think about it like this. Imagine you're at your house, okay, and you lose a piece of jewelry. And that piece of jewelry was awarded to you after a day's labor in Chuck E. Cheese, okay? And, and you, you worked for hours, and you got just stacks of tickets, and what you left with was a little ring with a spider on top of it. Do you know the kinds of rings that I'm talking about? I think I've referenced them in here before. They're a special pet peeve to me with my kids. Let's just say you go home, and you lose that piece of jewelry. What does that search, that, that careful looking, look like? Now contrast that with this. You have a diamond ring. It's been in your family for hundreds of years. It's the most precious thing that you own. You've lost it. It's somewhere in your house. What does that search look like? Hey, when Paul says, look at your life here, he's, he's talking about the latter. Because again, the most precious thing you have is your life. You only get one of them. And what you do with that life will be significant for all of eternity. So, so look at your life. And even godless philosophers understand that we ought to do this. So for example, I think it was Aristotle that famously said, the unexamined life is what? Not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. This is the tragedy of our modern lives. So few of us, so few of us take any time whatsoever to look at our lives. Can we just be candid this morning? Some of you look more closely at internet memes than you do at your life. Like legitimately, if someone were to say, hey, how's your life going? What are you focused on? Or they were to ask you, hey, have you seen this latest meme? You would be more familiar with that meaningless internet meme than you would with the things that you're investing your life in. Others of you look more closely at your bank statements than you do at your very life. Others of you look at the latest news story about people you will never meet around events that you cannot control more than you take time to look at your life. Paul says, you want to use your time well? You've got to take a moment to step back and consider how are you living? Because to not do so is is just the, the extreme of negligence. It ought to be criminal negligence to not consider how you are living your life. It's what the Bible calls a fool. He says, do not be foolish. A fool is someone who just lives. They just go off impulse. They give no thought to the significance of their actions and what they'll mean uh, in the long run. Paul says, don't be a fool. Look at your life. And so my first encouragement for all of you this morning, if you're at home, if you're here, I don't know if you've had time to do this since uh, the clock struck 12 in 2021. But would you just take some time, take an hour, turn your phone off, get alone, and just think about your life for a second. Think about the kinds of things that you're spending your time on. 
What I'll often do for this, what this sometimes looks for me, like for me, I don't do it every month, but I try to do it regularly, is I'll just try to step away for even a brief period of time, I'll open up my journal, and I'll just write out categories of my life. So I'll think about, okay, my spiritual life, uh, the life of my mind, the things that I'm studying, and I'll write these things on paper and give some space under them to kind of comment below them. My, my, my marriage, my kids, my extended family relationship, my finances, my physical health, all of these guys write out, and I just give some evaluation, and I set some goals, and I might do 10% of the goals that I set, but my hope in that moment is at least I'm giving some thought to how I'm living my life. Would you this week just take some time and consider, look carefully at your life. That's, I think, the first important thing that we need to do. The second thing that I want to encourage us to do is, is to look at our life in light of eternity. Look at your life, first of all. Take a, take a good look at it and what you're investing in. And then, number two, look at your life in light of eternity. I think that's what Paul is after here at uh, here, back here in verse 16. So he says, look carefully. And then verse 16 says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So the days are evil. What does that mean? What's most likely being referenced here, the, kind of the time that we live in right now. You could categorize the present era, the present time that we live in as evil. It is uh, filled with people who hate God, uh, who do wicked things, but we recognize and we celebrated this morning that these wicked days are limited. They've got an expiration date. Jesus is coming back. And so what Paul is saying here is, hey, recognize the time you have right now is limited. It's short. So try to think about what you're doing with your time that will matter in the long run. A very similar sentiment we read this morning out of Psalm 90, verse 12. Uh, I believe it's Moses who's, who's credited for writing that psalm. It says, um, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. So a, a foolish life, the life of a fool just lives, just goes, but, but a wise person recognizes, okay, life is short, eternity is long, how can I live my short life in light of long eternity? The, the more you contemplate eternal things, the more wise your life in the here and now will be. So consider your life in light of eternity. I went really extreme with this, okay, shortly after I heard this, like, Define the Line series, right? And uh, I'm not embarrassed, I am embarrassed to, to share this thought that I have, but I'll, I'll share it with you of how a time in my life when I tried to live in light of eternity. So I, I worked right on 28, and I would go up and down 28, right outside of Old Town, uh, multiple times a day. And there was this shop right out there that, that sold tombstones. And I thought to myself, hey, wouldn't it be a good idea? What if I bought my tombstone right now and, and I kept it like in my room, okay? And I would have my birth date already written on there, the little line, and then, you know, we'll see. I don't know when the, when the rest would happen. And, uh, you know, that would help me to like live in light of eternity and to not waste my life and all this kind of stuff. And I was on the phone with my friend driving by it one day saying, hey, I've got this idea. Like, what do you think about it? And they responded with, man, yeah, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Like, you, you definitely shouldn't do that. You may want to speak with someone if, if you uh, are, are thinking about, about buying that. But, but uh, I don't think that's actually necessary for us to live our lives in light of eternity. I think as we open the Bible and we're reminded that the kingdom is coming, we're going to live with him forever, we can have this eternal perspective that shapes the way we live in the here and now. Because if you spend a lot of time thinking about eternity, you'll be a lot more focused on how you spend your life in the here and now. 
Maybe some of you have heard that phrase before, you know, oh, he's so heavenly minded or she's so heavenly minded, she's no earthly good. Man, that's a lie. The the most earthly good people are those who are heavenly minded. Hey, heaven is a reality. I'm gonna be living forever. So how can I then do the most good with the short time that I have here and now? So how do we fill our lives up? How do we, as Paul says, make the most of our time? You need to look at your life, consider your life. And then you need to look at your life in light of eternity. And then finally, quite simply, what we need to do is look at your life in light of what is pleasing to the Lord. Look at your life, look at it in light of eternity, and look at your life in light of what is ultimately pleasing to the Lord. This is how human logic goes, okay? Life is short, not gonna be here forever, so live it up. Get, get, get the most pleasure that I possibly can out of life because my days are short. And so, hey, listen, get a job that pays the most, have as much leisure as possible, have as much free time as possible, uh, ha- have as much great food as possible, have as much sex as possible, uh, do, do as much as you can, travel the world, see the sights, get all of it in the here and now because life is so short. Take every bit of pleasure that you can out of it. That's how human logic goes. And you don't have to wonder how that turns out. There's actually a book in your Bible devoted to living that way, living for your own pleasure that helps you see how it will turn out. And I want to invite you to turn to it. Would you turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 2? We're going to read 11 verses out of chapter 2, okay? Because I think this is going to be really helpful for kind of our human, especially American, uh, live it up type of perspective, YOLO type of perspective. Here is, uh, I think, the antidote to that. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, that's right after the book of Proverbs, and we're going to read 1 through 11. Let's see what this guy who, who had that type of mindset had to say. This is what the writer says. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself, the writer says to himself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still holding on to, uh, or my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on uh, folly till I might see what was good for the children of mankind to do under heaven. Here's the key, during the few days of their life. So here Solomon recognizes our days are few. Okay, so I want to live well. So this is what he tried. I made great works. I built houses, planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which the, to the water, the, the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. Wow, he is drinking every bit of pleasure that he can, even in wicked ways, it would describe. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I love this, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept from my heart 
no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all of my toil, and this was the reward of my toil. What we would expect to hear from modern listeners is he did all this, and man, he went uh, to his deathbed satisfied, filled, full of joy. Let's hear from him after he chased down all of this temporary pleasure. Verse 11, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity. In other words, all was meaningless, empty, pointless. And striving after the wind. You ever chased after the wind before? How satisfying of an experience would that be? That's what he's saying chasing down pleasure in this world was like for him, like chasing after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So here's a guy who says, hey, one life to live will soon be passed. Get as much pleasure as I can possible. And I think if he were to consult the apostle Paul back in Ephesians 5, Paul might have said something to him similar to, hey, in thinking about your life in terms of pleasure, you're close, but you're not quite there. You're not quite there. Because a meaningful life doesn't come from drinking as much pleasure out of it as you possibly can, but seeking as much as possible to please the Lord. Hey, I don't think there's a more fulfilling human experience than to come down to the end of your days and to hear from the Lord upon his throne, well done, well done my good and faithful servant. You live for that day. You live for that response. You live for that kind of pleasure. You can be sure that your life will be filled with significance and things that matter. Our lives are not fulfilled by getting as much pleasure out of them as we possibly can. Our lives are fulfilled by seeking to please the Lord. That's what Paul says at the beginning of this passage. New City, do the best you can. Try your hardest to, to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And so if that's true, there are two things that I want to do with my life. If a fulfilled, significant, meaningful life is found in doing things that are pleasing to the Lord, there are two things that I want to do that I want to invite you to do the same. Number one, I want to rid my life of things that are displeasing to the Lord. And number two, I want to fill my life to the brim with things that he loves. I want to rid my life of things that he hates, and I want to fill my life with things that he loves. And once again, we don't have to guess about what those things might be. This section of the Bible, we're going to do a flyover, okay, in just a second, of all kinds of things that the Lord hates and all kinds of things that he loves. Let's consider the first. How do we rid our lives, our short lives? How do we get rid of things uh, that, that bring no pleasure to the Lord whatsoever. Let's look at some examples. I'll go all the way back to chapter 4, verse 26. Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Let not the sun go down on your anger. And later in verse 32, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. You want to get rid of some things in your life that the Lord is displeased with? Get rid of anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness from your life. It will suck the life out of you. Do whatever you can to get rid of it. What else is displeasing to the Lord? He goes on to show our words. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Words that are bitter, words that tear down, words that condemn. 
get those as far from your life as you can. What else does he talk about that we should rid our lives from? Verse, chapter five, verse three. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Not even named. Can't even name it because it's not found. So any type of sexual activity that is with someone besides uh, your spouse, Paul is saying, don't even let it be named among you. It's displeasing to the Lord. Rid it from your life as much as you can. What else? Verse five, or, uh, else also here in verse three is coveting. One way to live a displeased or um, unsatisfied life is a life that says, I just need more and more and more. If I can just get that thing or arrive at that level, if I just have more, I'll be satisfied. Get rid of that. Study the 10th commandment. Do not covet more and more. Be satisfied with what you have. Another thing mentioned on here that we need to rid our lives from, idolatry. Things that we raise in our lives to God-like importance. Things that we say, this is number one for me. My job or this relationship or this money. Get rid of it. Rid your life of that. There's another one I'd like to comment on down in verse 18 of chapter 5. Do not get drunk with wine. Hey, I'll just recognize, like different churches sort of have different philosophies about drinking. There are plenty of people in our church that understand that wine is a gift from God and can be enjoyed, uh, you know, with moderation. But I also recognize that during the pandemic, there may be many of you who have been pushing the limit of that and drinking far more than is uh, acceptable before the Lord. Paul says, rid that from you. Do not get drunk. Get, get that out of your life. If you want your life to be meaningful, to be significant, to matter, get rid of things in it that ultimately displease the Lord. And you know what? This passage actually shows you today how you can get rid of them. I want to read the middle of this passage down in verse 11 one more time. It says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. How do you get rid of these things from your life? You bring them into the light. You confess them. You acknowledge them, not so that you can get uh, exposed in the sense of being shamed or called out or or, uh, reprimanded. No, bring them into the light that Christ might shine upon you. If any of these displeasing things to the Lord are found in your life, expose them before the Lord so that the, the, the light of Christ, his love, his compassion, his forgiveness that is yours can shine upon them. Let me tell you something, friends. Your sin is just like mold. The longer it stays in darkness, the more it will grow and fester and destroy. But if you want to kill your sin... Bring it to the light. Let the light of Christ shine upon it, and you will watch it wither away and be set free. So just an application for you, maybe today, maybe before you leave this building today, there may be something you need to bring to the light. You can do it before the Lord in a little bit before we take communion. If you feel comfortable talking to me, I'd love to pray with you if there's something that you're stuck in that you can't seem to shake. 
Maybe it's not here. Maybe it's at discipleship group this week. Discipleship group leaders, can I just ask you over the next week or two, can you just ask based on this passage, hey, is there anything in your life that needs to be brought to the light that we can just get out, get rid of, and and lay before the Lord at this moment? Expose it. Get it out of your life. Confess it before the Lord, not for shame, so that Christ, your Redeemer, might shine upon you. Rid your life of things he hates. And then secondly, fill your life with things that he loves. Once again, when we think about living well, maybe you have this pressure to like change the world or be a missionary or be a martyr or something like that. And maybe, maybe the Lord is calling you to do that sort of thing with your life. What is so encouraging to me about this passage are the kinds of things that come to mind for Paul after he says, making the most of the time. Now, mind you, he was a martyr. He did change the world, man. He lived well. But the first things that came to his mind, right after he says, make the most of your time, uh, understand what the will of, Lord, the, the, will of the Lord is, the, the things that came to his mind are actually not that complicated. I've got a handful I want to run with you. I want to fill my life up with these things, and I hope you do too. So first he says in verse 16, make the most of your time. And then he says, after his command to not get drunk with wine, to be filled with the Spirit. You want to make your life matter, count for things that are significant? Man, your personal walk with Jesus is so important. It's so important. A quiet time is not some uh, you know, uh, vestige of fundamentalism. Man, a quiet time before the Lord will cause you to spend your life well. One, because you're simply being filled up with him, you're communing with him, and you're learning regularly what's pleasing to the Lord. What else does the Lord want us to add to our life? Well, after he talks about that, our personal walk with Jesus, he talks about the fellowship of believers. He talks about the church the one another's. He says in verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making a melody in your heart to the Lord. And then down in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. One way you can make sure that your life is significant, that it's mattering, is that in a local church, you are practicing the one another's, that you are with other believers, that you are worshiping together, that you are uh, encouraging one another, that you're submitting to one another just out of reverence to one another to serve uh, one another. I know this is not an easy thing to carry out right now, but you will not be able to make it through this next phase of the pandemic without some one another's in your life. Whether it's small groups and you need to do that with some safety considerations, great. If you even have to do it on Zoom, great. But if you want to make your life count, even now during the pandemic, have some one another's. Have some fellowship with other believers. All right, those are the simple things. What about the really world-changing things? What's next? Should we be uh, a a martyr? No. You know the next thing on Paul's mind? Your marriage. Immediately after he talks about submitting to one another, the next thing on his mind is wives, submit to your own husbands, and husbands, love your wives. There may be some of us who think it would be quite easy to be a martyr out on the missionary field somewhere when God's just calling you not to die out there, but to die for your wife at home. That's the next thing that matters in Paul's eyes. Now, some of you may be called to singleness, and there's plenty of ways you can spend your singleness with significance to Christ, but your marriage, putting your phone away, having a conversation. How can you seize the day and make the most of your life? Go on a date. Go on a date and ask your spouse about how they're, how they're doing. Pray for your spouse. 
Develop a a pattern of, of praying with your wife. That's a great way to do it. How about the next one? What else can we do to make our life matter? Is it changing the world? No, changing diapers. That's the next thing on Paul's mind. Uh, Chapter six, he kicks it off with the relationship between parents and kids. Fathers, listen to this in verse four. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. When you're putting intentional thought into the little ones in your home and how you're raising them not just to succeed in the world, but to follow Jesus. Oh, how that matters in the sight of God, regardless of how they respond to it. Are you thoughtful this year about how you are raising your kids, praying for them, discipling them in their current season of life? Sometimes we think of defining the line, making the most of our life as changing the world when God's just calling you to change diapers and wash dishes, man, doing those things faithfully before the Lord. He next gets into employment. Really, we could apply that from this relationship between bond servants and masters. I don't have time to explain all of how that works. That's for another sermon. Simply to recognize one way you can uh, spend your life really well is at work. For those of you who are employers, doing everything you can for the, the employees under you to flourish and to succeed and to uh, make their lives a blessing, even if it eats into your profits. And if you're an employee, one great way you can make your life count is by working really, 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 really hard, but not so that you get promoted or that you get noticed, but so that you can do what verse seven of chapter six says, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, doing the job that God has given you today with all your heart. That's a great way you can uh, do what is pleasing to the Lord, man. And then finally, we can't talk about what's pleasing to the Lord without just hitting the great commission and the mission that he's called us to as his followers. Verse 19 of chapter six, Paul is inviting prayers and he says, pray also for me that, my, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul understood the, 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 the reason he was still on this earth was so that people might come into a saving relationship with Jesus. And this has never felt more difficult or intimidating than it does right now. Like just even having conversations with people outside the faith, conversations at all are difficult. But can I just encourage you this year, maybe just a simple takeaway as you think about living your life for what counts. Is there one person in your life over the year 2021 that you can just begin praying for? They don't know the Lord. You're gonna begin praying for them and just trying to find a way to communicate the truths of the gospel this year. One person, just one simple step, a simple next step to do what's pleasing to the Lord with the Great Commission. Is there one person that you can make that kind of investment in? These are things that matter, friends. Simple things like meeting with Jesus in the morning, changing diapers, working hard, seeking to pray and share the gospel with people. Hey, you don't have to solve world hunger. I pray some of you might do that. But here are some things that matter in the sight of eternity. So give yourself to these things. I'd love for you as we get ready to take communion to just pause and not like jump right into it, but just sit there for a second and do what it said at the beginning of the passage. Look at your life. Are there some things in your life that need to be brought to the light before you partake of the Lord's Supper? There's some things that need to be added to your life, or at least you need to commit to get away for a second so you can pray and think about that. And as you think about that, here's what communion is a reminder for us of this morning. 
The Lord's Supper, that, that little bread and that cup of juice is a reminder that you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. So honor or glorify God with your body. Mark 10, 45 says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom is a payment, a price that was paid of his own life for you. And this is the crazy thing about the gospel, right? Like, it's not common for people to get together and sing and lift their hands and shout on a Sunday morning. That's not common. Why, why do we do that? This is the amazing thing about the gospel. Jesus bought your life with his blood, not because it was of great value to him. In fact, before you met Jesus, your life was filled with all of the things that he hates. Everything that the Lord hates, your life was filled with it. And yet he decided to buy you with his own blood regardless. What is that? That, my friends, is called grace. That is what grace is. When we are given costly prices or paid for us, even when we don't deserve it, and that is what we celebrate through communion. That in the grace of God, he wanted you, even when what Romans would say of your life is that you were once worthless. You were once worthless, but he shed his blood for you, conferring and transferring all of his righteousness, all of his worth freely to you as a gift. And so this morning, remember that your life is not your own. You've been bought graciously by the blood of Jesus to belong to him eternally. And it cost his broken body and his shed blood. Let me say this also. Some of you may be here this morning and you have not yet received the grace of the Lord Jesus into your life. It's sort of just been just background noise. Jesus has never really mattered much to you. You've kind of maybe gone through the motions of church, but you've never truly received his grace in your life. I wanna urge you this morning, please don't take communion. We believe that the, even that little package that we hand out is a symbol for people who have given their lives to Jesus. What I wanna to offer to you is this. God is willing to make a trade with you this morning. A trade, a transaction. This is what he says to you. You come to me with your life. You know that little define the line? Your, your life. You come to me with that with all of the sin, all of it, all of the things you've done wrong, all of your embarrassments, all of the shameful things nobody else knows about, you come to me with that and I will die for it on the cross for you. You come to me with your sin and here's, here's what I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you my perfect life so that if you would believe in me, put your faith in me, what God would see is not your sins anymore. He would see the, the perfect life of Jesus. That's the offer. That is the offer to you this morning. I don't know if you've been far from God for a long time. I don't know if you've just kind of been going through the motions of church. I have no idea. But the choice is yours. Will you take God up on that offer? He offers to take all your sins and give you all of his righteousness. The way you do that is by closing your eyes as we begin to sing and to simply pray, God, here's my sin. Would you please forgive me of it? God, I wanna receive what you've done for me through Jesus. Would you redeem my life? I'm giving it to you. So that's the offer that God makes to you this morning. I wanna pray for all of you now, whether you're at home, whether you're in this room, and I invite you to, as you're ready, look at your life, take communion, and then let's respond and worship together, amen?
Amen. Let me invite you to bow your heads. I wanna, I wanna pray for you right now. Lord, the offer is on the table in this room right now. The offer is on the table. You take all our sin. You give us all of your righteousness. You give us eternal life. No matter how worthless and how messed up our life has been to this moment, the offer is on the table. So God, would you now draw people to say, God, okay, I receive it. God, forgive me. God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I can't save myself. It's only through Jesus that I can find redemption. God, as we get ready to sing and celebrate communion, would you remind us of the price that's been paid for us? That when our life was of little value, filled with sin, you paid for it. You bought us as your own. So God, would we now live in a manner worthy of the gospel? Would we live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel, making the most of the time, we pray. In Jesus' name.